Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello, my friends. How are we doing? Enjoying your spring? I certainly am enjoying mine. I got my garden this weekend. I got it in. Got all my vegetables in. I'll be picking and eating in June. It's always a good time to turn over the black soil and get the little plants plugged in. Get a little dirt under your fingernails. My hops are doing wonderful. They're just crazy this time of year. I remember last week we talked about deer ticks. Well, I picked up a couple more <laughs> before my trip to Phoenix a couple weeks ago. And the nurse keeps giving me the same answer. Watch for symptoms. The problem is that all these parasitic diseases, they all have the same symptoms, right? Fatigue and achiness. I can't actually recall a time that I wasn't fatigued and achy. So how am I supposed to know? And I'm coming towards the end of my month off. I saw my ortho, Dr. Hester, and we had a kind of funny conversation. He said, um, what happened to the plantar fasciitis? And I was like, ah, nah, I fixed that now. Nah, that's old news. I got something else. And so he said, I have peroneal tendonitis, not perennial tendonitis, which comes once a year, or periodontal tendonitis, which gives you a sore jaw, or prefrontal tendonitis, which gives you a headache. No, peroneal tendonitis, which runs up the outside of your leg where the tendon attaches to your ankle. Nothing serious, just need a little rest and a little ice, a little anti-inflammatory. I've been working on my biking and stretching and core, a bit of a vacation for me. I'm looking forward to getting back into some good hardy training this summer, something I can sink my teeth into. Maybe, maybe even spend a little time in the dark place. I was down in Phoenix last week, and it was pretty much all out with breakfast starting at 7 a.m. and dinner till 9. Not a bunch of wiggle room for training or practicing my miracle morning routine. So today, we have a chat with Ken Lubin, who manages a group on LinkedIn called Executive Athletes that has over 15,000 members and lots of interesting interaction. And we're going to see if we can learn something about the role of the amateur athlete in today's corporate culture. Now, I don't have a LinkedIn group for Run Run Live, but I do have a Facebook group, and you should go join and say hi, or join my email list so I know where to find you when the authorities ask me, when I get questioned. In section one, I'm going to give you some tips on how to act in small talk situations, and in section two, I'm trying an experiment in combining running with guided meditation. And you should really listen to that bit while you're out on a nice, peaceful, long run. Not driving your car, you may crash. It's interesting because the universe has been pushing me towards meditation. It's been pointing out meditation to me recently. And as part of my miracle morning routine, the first thing I do is five-ish minutes of guided breathing meditation. I don't know what it is doing, but that simple five minutes really kicks my ass and changes my frame and puts me into a flow state for a couple hours, and it's really amazing. 
I guess I'm susceptible to that right first thing out of bed. Then, you know, same time, a bunch of the podcasts that I listen to, they all seem to be talking about meditation, from Rich Roll to Tim Ferriss. It just seems to be coming up all the time and sliding into my radar field. And then last week, the Zen runner, my friend Adam, he put out a podcast all about meditation. So I figured I'd stop fighting the universe and see if I could create a running meditation for you to use. And it's an experiment, so tell me how it works out and let me know if I hit the mark or miss the mark. I'm just trying to serve here. I love this time of year. I have so much energy and everything seems to have so much potential. Now all we need to do is take some action. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Small talk basics. How to operate comfortably in a crowd. All right, so picture yourself. You're walking into a crowded room. Maybe it's a dinner setting where there are round tables and people standing around. Maybe there's a bar and waiters. And maybe there's a stage set up for dinner speeches. Some of the tables are empty. Some are full. Some are in between with open spaces. The room is full of people. You don't know any of these people. But they are here for the same event you are. They are your peers, potential friends, mentors, clients, or partners. They are all potentially here. But all you see is a big room full of strangers. How does that make you feel? Do you feel nervous, awkward, self-conscious? Do you feel like the room is looking at you, judging you as you walk in? Are you maybe a little afraid? What's your body language like as you enter the room? Are you shrinking back? Are you looking at the floor, avoiding eye contact, closed-in posture and hesitant movement? Well, my friends, you're not alone. Social situations scare the heck out of many people. The good news is that the keys to mastering social situations are easily learned and mastered. To some, this sort of affable interaction with strangers comes naturally, but to many of us it doesn't. So how do you master the art of small talk? Well, first you have to take a look at yourself. Why does this make you nervous? What are you afraid of? Using all your common tools to get over any common phobias, you can do some basic reprogramming of your psyche so that you bring the proper intent to these situations. Now, I won't go into the details, but all the nat all, all the common things like positive self-talk, affirmations, visualizations, and all the other ways you can change your attitudes about something can be applied to this and your apprehension of social situations. And even if you're not a natural extrovert, you can work on your intent. You can mentally prepare yourself to enter the social situation without fear and with positive intent. Why are you there? What are you looking to accomplish? What are the positive things that can result? Change your attitude. Fix your inner game. And the rest is just tactics. From this introspection, you can tailor your story specifically to the event situation. So what do I mean by that? Well, we've talked about being able to tell your story before. Be prepared to answer the question, so what do you do? And as we've discussed before, don't just say, I'm a sales guy, or I'm a insurance broker, or I work for XYZ company. 
it's much better to have a compelling or interesting story here about what you love about your life or your job or how you help people, how you add value. That's a good story. And tailor this to the event. Thanks for asking, Bob. I'm in the insurance racket, but I love coming to these events because I meet such interesting people and learn a lot. What's your story, Bob? Work with it. Practice it until it's natural and appropriate for the situation. You have it at the tip of your tongue. Because you're going to get asked. That's the first thing you'll get asked. The second big thing you could do is to prepare for the event or situation so you're not walking in cold and unarmed. So study up a little bit. What's the purpose of the event? Who is the clientele? Who is speaking at the event? What do you know about them? What are the sessions about? So arm yourself with current topics. What's in the news? What's the weather forecast? What is the local news? What are the local sports teams doing? All that stuff. Third, you can practice your eye contact and your body language. This is a problem for most people. When you meet someone, look them in the eye for two to three seconds. If that makes you uncomfortable, look at the space between their eyes. Don't lock eyes for more than a few seconds because it gets creepy. Keep turning to engage the eye contact as you are conversing to show them that you're interested and to make that human contact. Eye contact is very important. Body language in social situations is also very important. This is an area where you can practice, and you can fake it until you make it. When you enter that room, or you're walking in a crowd, keep your head up, your shoulders back, your hips forward and open. Hands and arms comfortably by your sides and open. Stride with confidence, like you own the place. And these people are all your guests. Smile. Scan around and try to catch eye contact. When you approach and engage a new person, square your body up to them with that open form. Respect the personal space, make eye contact, and smile and say, Hello, how are you? I'm Chris. Are you enjoying the day? And fourth, be prepared to engage in that small talk. When you have a conversation with someone, it's like a game of tennis. You say something, then they say something, and you hit the ball easily back and forth. You're not trying to prove you're smarter than they are. You're not trying to prove anything. You're having a conversation. Eye contact and smile. Repeat the other person's name if you can. Be sincere, positive, in the moment. Pay attention. Be a good listener. Focus on what they're saying and give them conversational cues and feedback, like head nods and verbal uh-huhs. Go into the small talk conversation with the intent to learn. You want to learn who they are and what their story is. Once you show them that it is safe and you are interested, they will open up and the conversation will flow. But what will you say? What will you talk about? It's a good bet once you have a person engaged to ask easy, open-ended questions. And an open-ended question is a question that can't be answered with a simple yes or no. So things like, you know, a a partially open-ended question would be, what are the top three things you want to get out of this event? Or a totally open-ended question would be, tell me your story, or tell me your company's story. Or what are the big or most important projects you're focused on this year? What has been the most interesting thing you've learned here? What did you think about the XYZ keynote presentation? How do you think you'll be able to use this information when you get back to your office? What are the major reasons you come to these events? What do you look to get out of it? Any of these open-ended type questions that cause the other person to think 
and expand a bit give you the opportunity to then follow up and embellish with stories and confirmations and your opinion as the tennis match unfolds. It's really quite pleasant. It's informative. It's engaging once you get it flowing. Eventually, you'll want to disengage from the tennis match, and this will become obvious if you pay attention to the body language cues or even verbal cues like, it was a real pleasure meeting you, I've got your card, and I'll follow up to make sure we stay connected and enjoy the event. People will naturally disconnect when the time is up. And the majority, this is the key point here, thing you got to remember is that the majority of the people at these events are just like you. They're looking for a way to engage. They're looking for somebody to talk to. They may be too nervous to take the initiative. And when you're open and sincere, it really lets them off the hook. You're performing a social service to the event, to the people there, by being smooth in your small talk and your interaction. You're putting people at ease. So instead of sweating and nervous in the corner of the room, clutching your drink and staring out the window, you will be learning and building your network and finding opportunities. You'll find answers and new ideas just by being open and being sincere in your engagement. So going back to our opening scene, where you open the door to a crowded dinner room, what does it look like now? You enter that room, erect and open, smiling and scanning the tables. You find one that's mostly full, but has an open chair or two. You confidently stride towards it, and smiling, you say, do you folks mind if I join you? And let the games begin. And now for today's featured interview. Ken, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. And thanks for having you on your podcast, or having me on your podcast. On this fine, sunny afternoon here in Massachusetts, huh? Like, we we step back to March all of a sudden. 48 degrees and rain, and there's nothing better. Yeah, I just got my uh, vegetable garden in over the weekend, so the rain's good, but being 45 degrees might be a hindrance. A, a woman I'm actually doing an adventure race with here in June, she lives up at Sugarloaf in Maine, and she sent me a note this morning that she was out training this morning, and it was snowing out, so. <laughs> yeah, the world's the world's getting weird. Yep. You know? Introduce yourself. Give us, give us the 200 words or less on uh, who you are and what you do and, and how you and I got connected. No, definitely. You know, I'm again, I'm Ken Lubin. I'm a managing director at ZRG Partners. I do global executive retained search. And I'm also the founder of a company, LLC, and group on LinkedIn called Executive Athletes. And what that is, it's actually it's a platform to connect executive executives and athletes globally through the commonality of sports, endurance sports, a lot of triathletes, a lot of cyclists, a lot of skiers, a number of you know, more solo type individuals that are out there. And athletically, I'm a, you know, I still compete at a fairly high level. I've raced, do a lot of adventure races and endurance races. You know, recently, last year, I tied for the win of the death race up in Vermont and we won the world championship Spartan race a couple of years ago as a team. So I'm firmly ingrained into the endurance and ultra endurance world. And we are actually, we put a team together for executive athletes or an executive athletes team together for untamed New England, which is a expedition adventure race here next month up in Maine. So we're looking forward to that. So that's one of those ones where you're running through the woods without trails, following the compass and going to waypoints and stuff like that? That's exactly what it is. It's, you know, yeah. similar to what the Eco Challenge was back in, you know, back in the 90s. 
Yeah, and you're doing kayaking and stuff too, right? Right. Kayak, water, pack rafting, uh, mountain biking, running, orienteering, doing all of that, and you have to have a team of four. So, and one yeah. one has to be part of the the opposite sex. And that was my girl I was chatting with up in Maine, where she was out trading in the snow this morning. <laughs> Got to have a uh, one of the opposite sex in there. But in those endurance races, the women are an asset. Because they uh, they they have much higher pain tolerance and they're better at thinking when they're under duress. Yeah, they can talk some sense into us. Yeah. So so you and I were talking earlier, right? And you know, you're 40, I'm 50 ish. <laughs> what I you know, when I grew up through the ranks, you know, you'd you'd kind of not have it out in the open if you're an executive that you were also doing this stuff. You know, getting up in the morning and training you know, doing races, and you had this whole sort of other life. But you sort of, I always kept the Chinese wall between that and work, you know, for a couple of reasons. One is, it was almost like I didn't want to get in that meeting where somebody called me out, and, and, and I had to choose between the athletics and the job. And I also didn't want to be that guy who was like, you know, the the chest thumping, look at what I'm doing, you guys all need to get off the couch and, and go run a few laps kind of guy either, you know. But I think that's changed over time. So I was at a conference last week that was uh, mostly executives, and I could look around and I could see the endurance athletes because you can tell them when you see them. Oh, you certainly can. Though, and you know they're the ones who are slided in, you know, right when the right when the bell rings, and you know, or during the breaks, are looking to get out and go for a run or go for a swim in between sessions as well. Yeah, but do you see that changing in terms of you know the old archetype used to be the the CEO was the the big fat guy in a in a three piece suit with a cigar and a and a hat, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and I think there's still some of that legacy happening, but with the world of you know Gen X and Gen Y out there, the CEOs are guys who are you know guys who are fit, guys who need to you know present well. People you know no longer is that the uh, the look that people are desirous and you know in the suits. Everyone wants to be you know pushing the limits and seeing what they can do. And I think now what you're starting to see is I just had this discussion earlier with someone. You start getting into these ad- longer adventure races or into some of these ultra endurance races, and the majority of them are made up of high level businessmen, high level entrepreneurs, because they're looking for that that next fix. And the next fix isn't the cocktail party anymore, or the next fix isn't going to you know happy hour. The next fix is getting on your bike and going to see what you can do. Right. So it's it's not like Mad Men where they're uh, they're smoking a cigarettes and drinking martinis for the most part anymore. And it's not just men, it's women as well. Exactly. Yep. No, there's probably as many women as there is, you know, are men that are actually part of my group. And, you know, the conversations are always the same. I don't think it's really, you know, it matters what sex you are. And there's a nice mix in that group, the executive athletes group on LinkedIn, because you have actual, you know, executives who are athletes, like you, like me. Then you have the athletes who are sort of independent company owners, you know, like the massage therapists and the trainers and the, and the coaches. And then you have the obvious type A addicted executives, which are the, uh, you know, the Ironman triathlon guys you know, <laughs> that sleep four hours a night and just go 100 percent. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely a, a wide demographic. And then there's some people, too, that are, you know, looking to get into the executive ranks that are you know wondering how people got to that level you know both athletically and 
um, and professionally. You know, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of conversations that happen between people that are you know professional cyclists and professional executives because they both want to pick each other's brain to see you know how, how each one gets better in both spots. So it's a great melting pot of of all different demographics, but everyone has something in common. Right. There's some synergies, as they would exactly. say. So what are the you know, you're out talking to people and you're recruiting. Do you ever have people who are looking for, you know, either overtly or covertly that person who's an endurance athlete? Oh, all the time. You know, I have people saying, you know, I, I do my executive athletes group a lot. You know, that's a lot of fun for me and it's not my, my day job. Actually, I, I focus primarily in the financial services business, my recruiting business, but People always say, well, you know, what about the, what about these athletes? What about, why can't we tap into that network? Because I love to hire people who are athletes because they're driven. They get the thing, they get the job done. They're not afraid of, you know, of failure or trying something new. And, you know, a lot of times too, people are much more confident when they feel better about themselves and when they're active. So a lot of people definitely want to tap into that market. So how many how many members you got out in that group now or that network? You know, probably about fifteen thousand, fifteen to twenty thousand. You know, that's amazing, yeah. right? Did you ever think it was going to get that big when you had that that idea back in the during the recession? I never did. I never did. And now you know, it's we're going to you know, hopefully take it to the next level and form some, you know, either running teams or triathlon teams or you know cycling teams that type of stuff. Sure, or some some Ragnars exactly. or something like that. That would be great. Yep. Yeah. So, what skills, right? If we look at the the executive and we look at the athlete, what are the portable skills? What are the portable approaches? If you draw those two circles and you look at the Venn diagram and the overlap, you know what's the overlap? What are the portable skills from each set? I think the portable skills is you know setting goals and accomplishing goals. Number one. Number two is you know, you have a lot of ability to work through adversity um, because if you're on the field or if you're on your bike or you're on a run, you know, chances are you're going to run into some <laughs> some pretty big adversity. And I think you, executives and athletes, you know, start to really accept that, that, that it's part of the process. It's part of the journey to get to the end and nothing's perfect, but, you know, eventually you'll get there. And number three, you know, they, the discipline, you know, they have the discipline in order to, again, go through those tough times, number one. But if they have to give up something or if they, you know, they'll do whatever it takes to get to their, you know, to their goal. Right. Balancing those, the short-term comfort with the, with the long-term goals. Um, and that's something I've been trying to, to talk to people about and explain to people when you're talking about working through hard times. You know, life is not a straight line trajectory. No matter what you're talking about, whether it's athletics or work or whatever, you're going to have moments of tension and moments of release. That's just how it is. It cycles. And if you're not having those, you should be worried. Because if you're really comfortable, then you're going to be in the next wave of layoffs. Right? Exactly. You don't want to, I just, I posted this thing today talking about the comfort zone and it was a quote by Bear Gryllis saying, you know, I don't look at it as a comfort zone. I look at it as the comfort pit. You know, I, and pits aren't places I like to be. I want to be outside of my comfort pit, always stretching my potential. And that's what happens. You know, people, you get stuck in that comfort zone and you start getting, you know, people start passing you by. And you always have to be looking at what's next. How am I going to be better? How am I going to take what I've done now? You know, what's made me successful now isn't going to what's 
going to make me successful in the future? How am I going to differentiate myself? Right. And and then coming up with a plan, it's like any other, you know, a marathon. You say, okay, here's what I got to, here's what I got to do to meet my next goal. Here's my plan. Here's what I got, here's what I have to do today. And then take an action on that. Exactly. Every yep. day to get to it. And there's no difference in, in the work world. You know, we say executive athletes, right? It sounds kind of stuck up, but is there a difference between an executive athlete and a blue-collar athlete? No, not really. Regular athlete? I think, you know, the fact that you're working and that you're an athlete is is what it is. You know, if you're a professional and you're out there, you know, you're you're making a buck to pay the bills and you're passionate about athletics, you know, the name executive athletes is, is what I came up with with it. It's much better than saying professional athletes or anything like that because... You know, then everything gets confused. But no, executive means, you know, that you're a working professional, that you're passionate about, you know, passionate about sport, passionate about getting yourself better, but also passionate about most likely enhancing your career and taking your career to the next level. So you've been watching this uh, community for the last uh, almost a decade now. What are the most common themes and topics that crop up? You know, I think a lot of it is people looking is looking to differentiate themselves, right? You know, a lot of the topics I, every week I ask a question and what I love to do is to see, you know, what makes people successful or what are some of the tips of advice of success or, you know, what are some of the biggest failures you've had both in, you know, business and sport and, you know, people are always in, and people read this stuff because you always then see answers to people helping other people out and with questions. But I think the common themes are, you know, how do I get better? Where do I go, you know, to to become a better athlete or better executive and what type of information is out there. And that's one of the things I have a you know passion about. I love to you know, I love to study this stuff. I love to see what differentiates, you know, someone who's successful versus not successful. And in reality it's only one little thing or one two, one or two little things. But it's those one or two little things make the biggest difference in the world. Yeah, the, I remember one post. Um, I had to shut the alerts off because <laughs> it was just swamping my uh, my inbox. But it was something. I'll paraphrase. You know, what's the best advice you ever right. got? And it must have had three hundred comments on it. And you could write a book on the advice that was. You know, some of it was awful, but it the you know the median the the sweet spot of those comments were was just it was it was gold. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's what I always try to figure out. And that, and I think that's the genesis of the group. It's here. Let's connect people that want to do business together that are similar like-minded individuals, number one. And number two, how can we, you know, all perform better? Because I love to find out from other people, you know, what makes them tick? What makes them a better athlete or a better businessman? Because we can all, we can all use this stuff in our daily lives, you know, both professionally and personally. Yeah, and that's that's part of if you talk about how to be successful, opening yourself up and getting out there and sharing with the community and right asking the right questions and and listening are very important if you really do want to improve. You have to you have to get that feedback and the online community is a is a it's a decent substitute for in-face uh, communication. You do a lot of work in LinkedIn, right? I mean, you're using that a lot. You probably use it for prospecting and for networking and that sort of thing. You know, what what do you see as some of the success factors for using this particular social network? I think it's a great tool because it's, you know, you have the ability to see different people's profiles and target who you want to chat with. 
number one. Number two, it's a, you know, you, you have the ability to start different groups. I actually have two or three other groups that I run in my financial services vertical as well, where you can do the same type of thing that I do with executive athletes. But it's a great way to, you know, to number one, to help you build your personal brand. And number two, again, to be able to help each other. You know, like I said, you know, in like our conversation earlier, this, neither of this is our day job, but we love, you know, ha- helping people out and seeing what we can do. And number three, what it's done, it's allowed me to, it's, uh, I'll actually put on events and networking events and get people together, you know, here in the Boston market, get a good guest speaker. And then we start, you know, a lot of good synergies then start happening. Right. And that's where you're going to learn stuff is getting out there and talking to people. Oh, exactly. That's the key. One of the things I've seen here, mostly in the last year, is LinkedIn. The power of LinkedIn is there, but it's sort of it's waning. You have to be willing to pick up the phone. You have to be willing to go out there and meet people face to face. And I think the combination of both technology and that personal touch is what's going to differentiate you, you know, in any sort of business above right. and beyond. But but I will I will see people using the two in tandem, right? So if I have a meeting with a company, I'll see that company, you know, essentially googling me, right? right? Looking at my LinkedIn profile or looking at my company, and and so you can't just have you know slap your resume up there. You have to take the time to build an interesting profile. You have to tell your story, like you say, manage your brand, because they are going to look at that before they talk to you. Of course. That's going to set their intent coming into the conversation. And that's exactly what it is. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff I'm playing with and chatting with people about is, you know, is personal branding. You know, what do you do? How do you, you know, how do you get yourself out there? How do you become the expert in the industry? And the crazy thing is it's all free. You know, it's a, it's, yeah, that's the most amazing thing. And like, again, we're chatting earlier about, you know, your career and your job. You know, you don't own your job, but you own your career. You own what you do and you need to be able to, you know, have the world. And it's not that you're bragging, but to have the world know that, you know, you're out there and that you're creating good, good content for the world. Yeah, I think if you go into any conversation, not you know, again, like you said, not like you're bragging or you're fully yourself or anything, but just with the self-confidence to know that I'm not worried about my job in any of these interactions because I can get another job, right? <laughs> I can I can make another job. I have that confidence in my own abilities, so that frees me up to focus on the task at hand and do what's right and be of service in that interaction, right? So to do the right thing. Not the easy thing. Exactly. Which is different. <laughs> right. We live in a world that wants instant gratification. And that's what I think, you know, is the problem that we're having, you know, with obesity and childhood obesity and, you know, and, and everything else. Everyone wants everything yesterday where, you know, when we were growing up, it was totally different. You had to save your money. You had to, you know, wait to go to the bike shop to buy the bike you want because you needed the 110 bucks, which felt like, you know, an eternity to get. But I think what's starting to happen is this whole world of instant gratification. And I think if we start to shy away from that and get back to, you know, you need to earn what you're doing and that type of stuff, you're going to see a, you know, a much more robust, you know, mindset for yourself and for your you know, clientele. Yeah. So I was at conference last week and, and one of the topics we talked about was staffing, right? It was, and I don't know about in your industry, but in my industry, there's sort of a gap in the workforce um, because in 2007, 2008, people stopped hiring for about five years. There's these all these baby boomers, people my age, who know what's going on. And then there's a whole bunch of people, you know, 20 years younger or, you know, more 
but there's nobody in between, right? So there's this like this talent gap in the industry. So you know the the net net was you better start working on these on the Gen Xs and get them up to speed fast because you're gonna have a lot of holes to fill. It's a very interesting time, and you know in the financial services world, it's the same way. Obviously, you know that recession killed that is like a cultural revolution, right? You know, there's a whole there's a giant gap that's that's out there, and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes here, coming, you know, moving forward. And one of the things that we're seeing too is a lot of senior leadership, you know, that's retiring, that sort of move into the next step, and we're seeing some major holes in that in that world too. Right. I mean, I can look around my management team and everybody in there is my age. Right. Right. So that means they could potentially retire within the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody there to backfill that. Right. So it's interesting. There's this opportunity and everybody seems to be a little bit afraid of the Gen Xers or the Gen Y or whatever, the millennials, whatever we're calling them. Right. Yep. Um, because they, they seem to be this sort of mythical beast that are talking about they you know, they don't really want to work hard. They just want fulfillment in life and, you know, all this other weird stuff. So what are you, what are you noticing? You know, I, and I think that's part of that sort of myth as well. You know, if you, lo- yeah. if you look at a lot of those guys, they're working harder than anyone ever worked in their lives. You know, they're, right. they're online. They're, you know, they're working 24-7 to launch their own businesses who are always, you know, who are always on. The guys who are going to excel are all are all out there, and I think, you know, I I don't know if that's a scare tactic or what people you know think that you know there's this mystical world of cloud that's not going to exist. I I almost think it's the opposite. These guys are going to change the world. They're doing some super cool stuff. I've been around a number of conferences, you know, chatting with you know some people that are in their twenties and you know late teens, and the stuff that they're doing is just mind blowing. And I think that's Maybe it's fearful. Maybe it's, you know, our generation or our parents' generation say, you know, are, are fearful for it. So they say that. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Because they're going to be swept up by, you know, people that can, you know, the technology or having the ability that it would take an executive a year to do. It takes them, you know, a day and a half to do. Right. Right. Yeah. So they're just, it's just fear manifesting itself is what it is. I think that's what a lot of it is, you know. Yeah, and, because. Because people are people, you know, and I've, I've gone around the world and I realize people are people no matter where they are. You're going to have good, you're going to have bad, you're going to have hard workers and, and not so hard workers. It's, it's the same everywhere and I would imagine the same is true across the age spectrum as well. You know, and the press manifests it and all that. You know, the press loves that stuff. So they, they like to have good stories. But that being say, said, I think lifestyle is much more important as part of a corporate culture these days. It is. And I think, and I think with that, with the use of technology, you can have that lifestyle. You know, and if you know how to, you know, the hardest part, part that I find for me personally is knowing when to turn off. But with that lifestyle, you can be on a ski lift doing your phone calls while you're making runs and then you know if you need to get on a conference call you can do it from the lodge and everything like that but you know, in the same sentence you're out skiing with your kids and and all that good stuff so you're not tied or tethered to where you need to be yeah it's much more flexible now and and I think a message for people any anybody out there who's listening to this would be if you're you know if you're stuck in a cubicle 8 hours a day find a way to engineer yourself out of that job because you need to be much more flexible if you're going to meet your athletic goals <laughs> and your life goals. Right. And with the advent of online and different tools, that's all out there. That's, that's 
graspable and it's something that you know you don't even believe me i'm by no means the brightest guy out there i've just sort of worked and figured it out a bit to see what would work and just it's a lot most of it is try and fail try and fail but see what sticks and see what works the best for you right you want to work yourself into a position where you're trading value exactly for value not time for value because if you're trading time for value, you only have so much time. It's a finite resource. Right. But if you're trading value for value, you can always engineer more value to trade. That's exactly what it is. You know, and I think that's where, and that's how, you know, we can get back to the whole athlete thing. I think that's how so many athletes now are doing so well in their roles because they understand the, the time that they have that they want to, you know, pursue and work needs to be much more focused and needs to be much more efficient and needs to be much better than the guy next to him because they want to be able to go out and, you know, go for that two hour run or that, you know, five hour bike ride and you get in at 10 in the morning. But the ability to be efficient and to get your, you know, your work done is, you know, is much more important to that type of person. Right. As long as you're delivering the value, nobody's going to begrudge you the, uh, the time on the bike. Right. Exactly. Yep. All right, so uh, let's let's move towards the exit here, Ken. What are your links? What do, what's the group, and how do people find this all this wonderful yeah, stuff? Yeah, you can go if you're on LinkedIn. The group is Executive Athletes on LinkedIn. I've got the website executiveathletes.com. They can go check that out. It's also on Facebook, and then my professional site is zrgpartners.com, and that's where you know all the magic happens from the recruiting side of the business. So how's business these days? You know, we're we're on fire. We're as busy as we've ever been. So that's awesome. We can't complain. We can't complain. Yeah. But but here's the thing: you say that no matter no matter what, anyhow. You if somebody asks you that question, you always answer that way. You know what? No, actually, <laughs> the way I answer is we had we had three years off. We had four years off during the you know during our session, so we're making up for lost time. Yeah. And it's, you know, we had a three year vacation in there where, you know, it was, it was, that's actually where all this stuff spurred from, which has worked out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> How's business? Fantastic. Sell it like hotcakes. Can't keep up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Good, good positive spin. Perfect. All right, Ken. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon, and we'll look forward to a continued interaction on LinkedIn. Great. I'll chat with you later. All right, man. Bye, Chris. All right. Bye. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Running meditation. I've always considered running a mental activity that calms my mind and sorts out my challenges. Recently, I've been reading about flow states and starting to dabble in meditation. And I find that the universe, as always, is making a great effort to teach me something and connect the dots. And I suppose I've always known, but didn't have the words or practice for it, but running is meditation for me. It always has been. I've been probing the mind-body connection in my running and racing for years. And that's why it's so important to me. But I've never drawn the obvious connection to direct meditation practice. So in this exercise, I'm going to try a little experiment here. I'm going to attempt to create a guided meditation for you that combines running and breathing meditation. 
It is intended to be an audio piece for you to use when you are running to encourage or enter a meditative state. And in addition, when you get good at manipulating the mind-body connection in your running, you can use these tools when you're racing or other times when the effort level gets hard to control your emotions and your discomfort. And we all know running is 80% mental, especially distance running. So why not build out your tool set and understand the state of your mind and how to get into that meditative or that flow state? Now, I have cribbed much of the wording in this session from a breathing meditation audio by Diane Winston at UCLA because I find her word choice and pacing and tone so effective in my own practice. Let's begin. We are out on an easy run. Maybe some someplace peaceful. Today we are going to focus deeply on a few things. We are going to let all the noise of our life go. We are going to be kind to ourselves. As we run today, we are going to become the mind-body connection. I want you to relax. Breathe easily. Through the nose or the mouth, whatever feels natural. Now I want you to notice your body. Notice your hips. Relax your hips and push them gently forward, like you're being pulled by the belt buckle. Notice how, when you push your hips forward, it pulls your body erect. Gently relax and notice your shoulders straightening up and pulling back as you push your hips forward. You are running effortlessly, tall, erect, and relaxed. Your torso is upright but relaxed. Your shoulders are back and high and loose and comfortable. Your head is high and straight and looking forward, chin up and loose. Smile. Give yourself some gratitude for being able to run today. Let the stress go. Breathe. Smile. Relax. Notice your hands now. Your hands are high and loose and relaxed, about breast high. Your arms swing loosely from your shoulders, back and front, in an easy, controlled rhythm. They don't rotate around your torso. They move back and front with your elbows high in the back at the end of the arm swing. Your arms move back and front in an easy rhythmic cadence. Now notice your feet as they hit the ground. Slowly and easily shift your upper body forward if you need to so that your center of gravity is naturally over your forefoot. Feel your feet hit the ground lightly and quickly and gently on the middle of the forefoot pad, and it feels very natural. Notice your feet lifting quickly to kick up a little behind you in a rapid, easy pat, 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 like you're running on a hot surface. And you don't want your feet to linger in contact with the ground. Picture the words in your mind each time a foot hits the ground and flows through and out behind, fast, light, feet. 
one foot quickly replaced by the next in a natural, easy rhythm. As you find this sweet spot, your running, your stride, your breathing, and your mind all should be very quiet. Your upper body will be very quiet, like you're disconnected from your legs and riding on a magic carpet. Now relax into this perfect, beautiful form and let your body go. Let it run free. Notice your body is comfortable and relaxed. Notice how your body feels from the inside. Notice the weight, shape, and touch of your body. Relax. Become curious with your body. Feel your body. Notice the weight of your body as your feet hit the ground and spring back. Feel the rhythm of the easy foot strike. Feel the easy metronome of your arms as they float back and front. You are a perfect running animal. Now relax any areas of tension. Relax and soften. Begin to tune into your breath in your body. Feel the natural flow of breath. Don't try to change your breathing. Just notice it as it is. Breathe, relax, natural. Notice where you feel your breath in your body, in your belly, in your chest, in your throat, in your nostrils. Feel the sensation of each breath, one breath at a time. When one breath ends, the next begins. As you are doing this, you may notice your mind wandering. You start to think about other things. This is perfectly okay. It's very natural. Notice that your mind has wandered. You can say wandering, or thinking, or returning in your head, softly, and gently redirect your attention back to your breathing, back to your body. Now we will stay in this for a short time, maybe 20 seconds, in silence, noticing our body, noticing our breath, from time to time getting lost in thought and returning to our breath. I want you to be very kind to yourself. Be forgiving to yourself. Smile a bit as you run alone with your breath, your body, and your heart. Now, once again, feel your body and how it moves. Relax even more deeply. Let everything go. Take a moment and offer yourself kindness and gratitude for having done this practice today. Give yourself an attitude of appreciation, ease, and well-being for yourself and this run. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep.
did a great interval workout on Fujisan on the rail trail Memorial Day weekend. I took the speed play pedals off and put some old flat teethy metal platform pedals on because the clip clip ins they were tweaking my ankle when I pulled up on them. So I was riding that way. It's kind of tough because every time you shift or you or you change speeds, your feet slip off the pedals and you end up losing it a little bit. But it's interesting. So you got to picture me there, out there on the rail trail, puffing away and spinning as hard as I can on my old Fuji. Just a blur of rusted, true temper steel, terrifying the walkers and children. I've been putting on weight, so I've got a nice belly swinging away under my bike shirt, bumping into my knees on the upstroke. And then somehow my iPhone decided to shuffle into 100% live Grateful Dead music for the whole workout. And it seemed strangely fitting in this weird alternate universe of non-running exercise among the frightened populace. So my friend Buddy, the old wonder dog, he's doing fine. I had to get up in the middle of the night last night. There were thunderstorms, and he wanted to be in the basement. I guess he feels safer down there. He's still got all his faculties, and he's the sweetest old man. I think his serious running days are over, but we still enjoy the brief odd trot in the woods together. He's been and continues to be a devoted friend to me. And this morning I was up early in my home office, right, sitting in my chair in a meditative state, and he sneaks up behind me and lets out one sharp bark to get my attention, and it just about caused my head to explode crazy old dog. So towards the end of our conversation, you heard Ken and I talk about not letting yourself get too comfortable. Life's supposed to be full of ups and downs, and if you're not having ups and downs, then you're really not living. You should be worried <laughs> if everything is perfect. Go out and do something that scares you. Get get something going. Expect to succeed, but be okay with failing, because that's how we grow. We're never too young, and we're never too old to learn some new tricks. And I expect to see you in my Facebook group. It helps me test out some of my half-baked ideas. And I've been posting some of the thoughts that boil up out of my morning sessions. And some of them are, are fairly interesting. So I hope everybody has a great week. And let me know if there's anything I can do to serve you. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao.